we're walking through the book of James. Um, we do different styles of preaching here at the church. Sometimes we do topical pre- preaching. Sometimes we just preach from a text, and sometimes we do some uh, expositional preaching. And right now we're having a look at the book of James, um, and uh, we're at chapter 5. So y'all are joining the end of the series. It's had quite a nice build-up, and I don't know if you some, I see some blue toenails, because uh, we've definitely st- <laughs> stepped on some toes during this, this message. But the book of James and the Apostle James was just one of those no-nonsense kind of guys. Um, he did not hold back punches. He said it like it was supposed to be said. And uh, he gave us a no-nonsense guide to practical Christianity living. I know, I think we all know James for saying it means nothing if you say you believe unless your life actually proves it. Um, And so the challenge have been real to us to not just live in an intellectual faith or just live in the cultural expression and participation of Christian ritual, but to truly have a relationship with God that results in our will changing to want to do what he asks of us in his word. It's not just a matter of doing it out of compulsion, but starting to get to a place of wanting to do it, a desire. And we love to say it that when you step into a true relationship with Christ, your want to starts changing. And it's no longer, oh, I have to. No, it becomes a I get to. And so when you, when you, when you do um, discipline yourself in Christian practices. It's not a, oh, I do this because I'm a Christian. And oh, I would so much love to go and get drunk in a bar this evening, but I can't because I'm a Christian. That is entirely the opposite of the existence that we stand for in this church. No, we have absolutely no desire to go and get drunk because we have been filled and satisfied with something so amazing in the love and the presence of the Holy Spirit that that has absolutely no appeal to us anymore and that is also how we overcome sin because the sin starts losing its lure when your satisfaction is completely satisfied in the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ not claiming we are sinless just saying that there is a way that God has made it possible for us to stand strong uh, against the temptation of sin so that we might glorify him in our daily lives as well and that is most often the ways is by being filled by some thing that satisfies your, your thirst and uh, your, your appetite. And so let's jump into James 5 as we will be looking at um, the last chapter uh, in this series. So let me ask you a question to start off with. Whom of you have, been, have ever experienced an unfair situation? Something that was done to you that was just not fair and injustice that shouldn't have happened. Maybe it was at work. Maybe it wasn't a relationship. Maybe it was at school in your class. Teacher said something and it wasn't you weren't the guilty party and yet you got sent to the principal. Or or, or maybe you were in a business deal and you got the bad end of the of, of the deal and and you were the one that was supposed you that was supposed to be um, put ahead by it. Or maybe you were blamed for something that you didn't do and you got in trouble with whatever authority that there might have been. Sometimes we have found that we get um, uh, let go out of a company uh, you know, with unjust reason. There's so many injustices that happen in this world, so many unfair situations that we often have to deal with. And uh, um, I believe that these moments sometimes make us feel entirely powerless because what can little old me do against this big corporation? Or what can little old me do in trying to explain to a teacher that has just said, shut up and go. Um, I don't want to listen to it anymore. <laughs> You're like, 
but it wasn't me. <laughs> and you're just like, what's, what's the use? They're never going to believe me anyways. And so you just go ahead and you experience the you know, consequence of something that you didn't do. Unfair situations make you feel powerless. I believe the book of James in, in, in chapter 5 tells and helps Christians how to deal with these situations. And it kind of starts off by speaking to uh, people who are wealthy in this world. And then it moves on to speaking to those who are suffering in the next section. And we will kind of handle three sections throughout this book. And the last section really talks to us as a church and gives us practical advice for how to help one another through moments like these. So let me, re- let me read a couple of verses and make a couple of observations and so on as we as we go forward. James 5 verse 1 says the following, listen all of you who are rich for it's time to weep and howl over the misery that'll overtake you. Your riches lie rotting, your fine clothing eaten by moths and your gold and silver are corroded as a witness against you. You have hoarded up treasure for the last days but it will become a fire to burn your flesh. Listen, Can't you hear the cries of the laborers over the wages you fraudulently held back from those who worked for you and the cries for justice of those who you've cheated have reached the ears of the Lord of armies? You have indulged yourselves with every luxury and pleasure this world offers, but you're only stuffing your heart full for a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered good and innocent people who had no power to defend themselves." God addresses through the Apostle James people that are wealthy because God is a God of justice and he will set things right. It might not happen today, it might not happen tomorrow, but at the end of the day, God will set things right. And if you are on the wrong side of God's rescue, then it will definitely not be pleasant to you. So God, uh, James is urging the rich here to be on the right side of God's rescue. He asks us to ask the question, will God rescue me or will God rescue others from me? It serves as a warning for those who put their trust in their riches because those who do put their trust in their riches have no other guide by which to live life because riches have become God. And riches dictate whatever I can't and cannot and should and should not do. And we all know if you have a lot of money, there is very little that you can't and cannot do. And therefore, because of that fact, there's also very little that you should and shouldn't do. There is no guiding light because you have elevated your wealth above the guidelines of God's word. And so he talks to those who are wealthy and have put their trust in their fading riches, saying to them, look, if you do this, your life will end up in the same place as your riches will. Faded treasure, ruined, moth-eaten, and corroded. I'd like to make some observations about how we often, uh, um, as people that have been blessed by God with wealth, might find ourselves on the wrong side of God's rescue. And I think what 
the scriptures here is revealing is that it's not wealth that's necessarily the problem. It's, it's actually um, the priority that wealth has in our lives. And if wealth starts becoming our leader, it leads to us serving its purposes. Which, what is the purpose of wealth? More wealth, right? Who uh, said, that? Uh, how much would you like to have more? And the answer was always just a little bit more. There is no end in sight to the God of, of wealth. And so what that leads to often is extortion. It leads to unfair practices that are, that, are dealt, you know, that are done by us who have wealth toward those who do not have wealth. And so the problem here rather is unfair or withheld wages. I know as a principal, my wife and I have never um, applied a minimum wage um, principle to anybody that we have employed for anything. We've always felt that the kingdom of God does not support the idea of a minimum wage. God is a generous God. And so what we would do is we would pay as much as we possibly could afford. Uh, and, 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 but we would try to, to, to stay away the, from that, that concept. It's not a kingdom concept. The kingdom of God does not work with minimums. The kingdom of God works with generous generosity works with with abundance and so just as a christian and as a christian employer as a christian person who has wealth to 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 bless people with it's important that we start thinking as kingdom citizens not as world citizens that is just you know going to take the benefit or the almost the short way out that the world provides us to withhold due wages to those who have worked hard and have been a blessing to our objectives through their labor. James says, don't you hear the cries of the laborers over the wages that you fraudulently held back? Um, the cries of justice of those you've cheated have reached the Lord of armies. And let me, hear, let me, let me guarantee that God hears the people that cries from, injustice, from a place of injustice. And he will set things right. Will we be on the right side of his rescue? James is saying it's not wealth, having wealth that's the problem. It's actually just living in undisciplined, perpetual self-indulgence. Not being able to tell myself no. Not being able to say, hey, this much is for me and the rest is from God through me for others. Not learning that God's, God is the provider of everything that we receive and because he is the provider, he gets to define the, you know, the end uh, origin or the, sorry, the end uh, destination for what he is entrusting to us. To us and living with an undisciplined, unchecked, just self-indulgence will basically try to silence God's voice to say, "Well, if I do this, I can't go on my trip to, you know, I almost said Venezuela. Nobody wants to go to Venezuela. Um, <laughs> where do y'all want to go to, man? <laughs> the beach, Cancun, the Bahamas, or whatever the case may be." And, and, and is it wrong to go there? No, it's absolutely not wrong to have these things and to enjoy the blessing that God has given to us. I'm not talking about uh, enjoying the fruit of our own labor. I'm talking about an unchecked indulgence that again and again and again chooses self over God's objectives, God's kingdom purposes for the wealth that he has entrusted to me. James 5.5, you've indulged yourself with every luxury and pleasure, but you're, but you're only stuffing your heart for the day of slaughter. There will come a day of reckoning where God will ask, what did you do with all the wealth that I entrusted to you? And if you are the only 
person in the frame, in the picture frame, there is going to be a problem. Last one, James 5, 6. If you, you have condemned and murdered good and innocent people, I think wealth isn't the problem, but it's stepping on others on your way to wealth that God does not appreciate especially not from his children. And as children of God, we have to have a different mindset about our businesses. We have our daily affairs cannot be equal to the, how the world conducts its affairs. There has to be a distinction. Some says you're mixing up church and state. You got that right. Because the Bible never ever anywhere says that God should be removed from the rest of my life. That amendment that was made in this country is beautiful, but actually the reason why it was made it was made to protect the church, not to protect <laughs> the business world. It was to protect the church from government overreach, not to protect the government from church involvement. And at the end of the day, church does not equate God. God is above all. He created everything. And so when you remove Him out of anything, you are in error because you do not know what the Scriptures want. God wants to be involved in every facet of your life. And so he wants to define how you conduct your business in every aspect of your life. There is no sacred and secular divide in the kingdom of God. When you go to business, when you go to your workplace, when you go to your classroom, when you go to your office in the morning, your, your God is going with you. And if you serve him, he would like to help you conduct that business according to his kingdom's ways. And stepping on others to try and get wealthy is something that God does not look, like, look fondly upon. And so we're really um, challenged to think about how we conduct our business as people of means because um, there will be an accountability of, on that and God would like us to be conduits of his goodness to the world so that the world may see his goodness the Bible says the goodness of God draws people to repentance is as people see in our daily lives that you know God's goodness and character flows through us and and and, and I, through our generosity through our grace through our servant leadership that they start seeing a difference to you when that happens all of a sudden your testimony starts making sense to them when they don't see any difference between you and the atheist boss they were serving the previous time you can tell them you're a Christian all day long and they're just going to go, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything for me. You're still an, uh, a jerk when it comes to, to how you treat us. You still pay us maybe sometimes even less than that guy paid us. So how can your conduct be a, 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 a contradiction to your testimony as a Christian? It is a stark um, it needs to be a stark difference between how we conduct our business and how the world does it. I believe that this truth urges us to have a good, honest look at how we conduct our business. You see, we can't separate God from our normal lives because He is Lord of all. For those who are just making it or even suffering under unfair circumstances, I believe the temptation becomes to take matters into our own hands and just enact God's vengeance for him, right? It's like, I'll show this guy, you know, or, you know, and going into our own strength is, uh, is never a good idea. But James encourages us to trust in God's rescue 
to trust in God's rescue. And that's a difficult thing to do because we, we find ourselves often in a place of having to wait for God's rescue, right? His rescue don't always come at our appointed time. And to remain faithful to Him um, is sometimes difficult uh, in, those, in those moments. And this is why James writes to us, just wait. God is faithful. He will come. His rescue, will, his rescue plan will work. But we just have to remain faithful and trust in it. In James 5, 7, it says, um, Meanwhile, brothers and sisters, we must be patient and filled with expectation as we wait for the appearing of the Lord. Sometimes we cast our hope off and we, we lose our expectation of good things to come. We think to ourselves, well, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And, and, and in, the, in, that moment, in that moment, we make a real critical mistake because we then, have, we then become our, our own savior. And God is of such nature that he does, not, he does not push us out of the way and says, no, no, stand aside, I got this. No, God is more gentlemanlike and he stands back and says, okay, I'll give you a shot at trying to fix this. And how often have we found that our attempts to try and fix things just end up coming short? And the beautiful nature of God then says, hey, don't you want to come back to me? His grace is always receiving us open arms and says, give me a shot at doing this on your behalf. Let me guide you and let me lead you. Think about a farmer who has to patiently wait for the earth's harvest as it ripens before, um, because of the early and the latter rains. He's likening this waiting period unto a farmer that's waiting for his crops to ripen. The season to get to a place where it becomes ready for harvest. And every single one of us go through different seasons of life. Seasons of plowing, seasons of planting, seasons or sowing, seasons then of waiting and watering. And in that waiting and watering time it's often the most difficult because man i see those little those little green sprouts coming up and i just know oh man it's coming it's coming and then after a while you see the full plant and you go like my goodness there's nothing on this thing yet how long is this plant going to take before it starts producing any fruit and the the risk there is to go no no this, the, 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 this didn't work i need to go back to plowing and planting and so you could prematurely plow up your whole crop now, no farmer does that, right? I mean, at least no, like, normal farmer. You may be a little senile farmer and go, no, this didn't work, and forget all the previous seasons of harvest that took just a little while longer before it started ripening. Um, but that's what we're called to do. Is, it's like a season. Uh, it's going, it's, it's, it's en route. It's in process. And, 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 and what we need to do is we need to be faithful in waiting and trusting and not lose our hope, not cast off our hope that God will come through for us in this situation. Not take matters into our own hands and waste and ruin our whole crop. James 5.8 says, So you also keep your hopes high and be patient for the presence of the Lord is drawing closer. The presence, I love that. The presence of the Lord is drawing closer. God is on his way and he's busy working while we are waiting. Even, that song says, even when you can't see it, he is working. 
James says to us, there will come a point of justice. There will come a point of reckoning. And in light of this truth, we are encouraged to keep trusting God's rescue plan, not to pursue our own retaliation. So um, just a practical thought. Does that mean that I can never like, pursue justice through litigation? I don't think that's what it's saying here. Um, it's not talking about that. There are other places in Scripture where it speaks to how we interact with the legal authorities and the legal uh, systems and government systems that have been put in place. And we are urged to, um, to honor those systems and to let those systems serve us as need be. I believe it is possible to uh, pursue justice through litigation, um, but I do know that there is something about um, a system of justice that is made by human hands that is imperfect. That sometimes it lets us down, and sometimes we don't find full, um, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, that it fully deals with the issue at hand. Sometimes it lets us down, and, and sometimes we just... We just can't afford to access it. How many of you have been in a situation where if you had the money to sue somebody, you could have probably gotten something from the situation, but you just weren't in that position. And so a system was provided, but you weren't able to access it. And so in a sense, that system then failed you because you weren't able to access the benefit that could have given to you. But what do you do in that situation? What do any of us do in a situation where we feel like there is no way out? I do not have the power to my availability to deal with the situation at hand. James is saying you still have a God that is a God of justice and he will look after you at the end of the day. He will um, repay he will repay. And that does not mean that he's going to repay in the way that you like him to repay. God, I want you to just take all that guy's money away. No, he might lead that guy to get saved. And now that guy is pursuing the purposes of God. And hopefully, like, you know, Zacchaeus, he will rec recognize where he had stolen and, and, and repay. But even if he doesn't, um, God will still Look after you and whatever you were hurt in, God will help you to rebound. He's a God of justice. And where men's justice fail, we still have an ultimate um, person that we can appeal to in, uh, that, that, that is able to make all good things come about for those that serve him and are called according to his purposes. So James is saying, have confidence that God will bring justice, right? And sometimes justice goes undealt until the person dies, and then justice is dealt. But you know, sometimes the hard thing to recognize is the fact that sometimes justice is dealt with in Christ. Sometimes the person dies, but he was a Christian, and then all that he did wrong gets forgiven. <laughs> and that, that's hard for me sometimes here on earth that was dealt a, a real you know, devastating blow. But even in those situations, God is saying, yes, man, try to ruin your life, but I will have the last say over your life. I will help restore you. And so you might not get something back from that guy, or you might not get an apology from that guy, but God will heal your heart, and God will help you restore in whatever hurt and trauma that you have experienced. I believe he's saying, be patient, the Lord is coming. Be expectant of his breakthrough. Sometimes we don't expect his breakthrough. And, 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 and when you don't expect his breakthrough, you've got to ask yourself the question, do I believe that he's able? 
Not does the Bible say he's able, do I believe he's able? You know, when you're in the, in the middle of a crisis, you're, there's always a faith crisis connected to it because whatever you believe about God is going to determine how you feel and how you act. And if you truly believe that he's able, it'll cause you to act a certain way. But if you actually don't believe he's able, you know, you might know the Bible says it, but if you don't actually, you know, you've not sold out to that idea that he truly is able, then you might expect the worst outcome to come about. He's saying, don't go there. Recognize that God is good and able and expect his breakthrough to come about. Keep your hopes up. A while back we spoke about hope. Uh, in fact, we spoke about cynicism. And we said that the, the opposite of cynicism is actually hope. And how easy is it for us, especially us who've come along for a while and have experienced certain, you know, disappointments in life and even disappointments maybe perceived, you know, God didn't do what, he, what we thought he would do and that, that made us feel disappointed. To become cynical and think, well, I don't know if this really works practically. He's saying, don't let cynicism come and take a hold of your heart. Because when cynicism takes a hold of your heart, you can't expect no good thing from God. Keep your hope up. And here's some practical advice, by the way. Stop complaining about one another the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've discussed this in other parts of James where he's saying, like, you know, um, it's, it's what you fill your mind with. You know, the company you surround yourself with that ends up determining what pops out of your mouth. And so really, the mouth reveals the condition of the heart. We, Jesus said that too. Um, and James reiterate that, that, you know, you be careful what you say with your tongue, but really it's no point in trying to control the tongue because what the heart is full of eventually will pop out. What you rather should do is try purify the heart. Try fill your mind with the right things because eventually that will then also pop out. But what happens if we have resentment and contempt for one another, complaining pops out and we can't even control it. We can't even help it. And so he's saying, not just, he's not saying necessarily just don't, don't complain here. He's saying don't harbor complaints and judgments toward one another. Oh, that guy, oh, this guy, oh, the next person. Oh, and we call up 10 years ago things that this guy did and that guy. And no, I don't believe they could have ever changed and they're still the same way. And even if they're still the same way, me just thinking like that the whole time is just ruining my inside. It's defiling my soul. It's making me contemptuous. And you know, I see that person, I just want to punch his nose to the other side of his head. And he hadn't even said anything yet. That might put us on the wrong side of God's rescue. <laughs> Don't begin blaming one another. You know, when we, when we go through hard times or when things go wrong for us, we're always looking for somebody to blame. We're always looking for somebody to blame. He's saying, be careful to not blame others for what you are going through. When you have been dealt an injustice, the best thing that you can do is to put your trust in God, that He's going to let justice prevail. And then the next best thing you can do is that you need to forgive that person because if you don't, the Bible says a root of bitterness will take hold of your heart. And where bitterness is in our hearts, every other evil can exist. 
And so some of us are con- continuously experiencing just like, you know, um, calamities and things that don't want to go right and nothing works and perpetual failures, etc. If you're in a state like that, you've got to check out the heart condition. Are you harboring bitterness? Because if you're harboring bitterness in your heart, it gives opportunity for every other evil to constantly be battering you and challenging you and coming against you. And the way we do this, I believe it says in verses 10 and 11, is to just meditate on the examples of Scripture. There are so many examples of people in Scripture that went through injustice. Joseph, my wife, spoke about him earlier. Another person is Job. Um, consider Job. The Bible says here in verse 10, James 5.10, consider the prophets. Um, some of the prophets were really, really you know, treated badly. And um, I think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, nobody listened to Jeremiah. No wonder he wrote the, what are those? Lamentations, right? No wonder he wrote that. Literally, they never, the, 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 if you go through the whole book of Jeremiah, nowhere did he say a decree from the Lord and Israel went, let us repent and follow the word of the Lord. He was just always contradicted and always ignored. And that's horrible if you think about it. Um, how must that not have made him feel as a, as a successful minister? I, I sure would have wrote some lamentations myself as well. Consider the Lord's character, the faithfulness of God. We sang about it early. Uh, a minute ago the faithfulness of God should encourage us to keep his word saturating our hearts our minds his ways his principles his promises as we meditate on these things God's promises and God's processes produces God's products don't be expecting to produce a product that is promised in scripture like sometimes we think hey God promises peace to those who believe in him right well belief in him as James have explained to us isn't just mentally ascending to yes I agree no it's actually stepping out and doing things how he asks us to do it doing those things the way he wants us to do really believing having a living faith that's what leads to peace of mind and peace of heart But if we try to do things our own way and then go, but Lord, you said I would have peace. This doesn't make sense. No, it's not making sense. Is you're not obeying the scriptures. That's what's not making sense. And then uh, taking God to task why things aren't working out the way that, you know, we wanted it to or that we thought it would work out. No, God's ways, God's principles, God's processes leads to his outcomes, leads to his product. And we will be amiss to take him to task on things that didn't work out the way we wanted it if we are constantly disobeying and walking in our own understanding and in our own way. So saturate your mind with God's examples. This is how you, the, 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 the men of faith of old have done this. Let me see how I can learn from them and from the rest of Scripture, how I can order my life according to His ways. And as I do that progressively, I will see His products produced in my life. Lastly, in the last section, James writes to the church and, and he encourages us all that we should all embrace Everyone, no matter what situation that they are in. See, sometimes some of us are going through the greatest breakthrough that we've ever experienced, right? And, and, and we need to rejoice with those people and, and, and encourage them to sing their praises to the Lord from the bottom of their hearts. Sometimes some of us are going through the hardest 
of moments and we're all at the same time in the same room, in the same company, in the same visit, in the same conversation. And God is saying, don't feel bad that you're not going through a moment of victory. But he's also saying, don't you feel bad because you're going through a moment of victory because somebody else is still in their season of waiting for the harvest to, to, to ripen. Everyone can be embraced and everyone can respond appropriately to where they're at. If you're going through the hardship, keep on your knees, stay on your knees and pray. And I'm right there with you and I'm praying with you. At the same time, I am rejoicing and you know, just partying it out with you who have gotten a breakthrough and praise and thanking God. And we don't resent one another for where we're at. We accept one another for where we're at. Verse 13 says, are there any believers in your fellowship suffering great hardship or distress? Or distress? Encourage them to pray. Are there those that are happy and cheerful among you? Let them sing out their praises. Listen, there is no better place to process pain and there is no better place to celebrate progress than in spiritual family. There is no better place to process pain than in spiritual family. See, what happens in the church world that in the West is we believe that it's only when I'm victorious that I can come to church. That is the, it's a, such a big lie. And the enemy steals so much from us if we isolate in those times of, of trial, in those times of challenge, in those times, in those times of defeat. When you isolate in those times, hmm, it steals the beauty of people walking with you, coming alongside you, kneeling down and praying with you, and strengthening your heart as you're waiting for the promise of God to materialize. Don't isolate when you're in that moment. Don't isolate when you're going through the trial. I've heard so many times heard people say, um, you know what, things aren't great right now. Uh, we'll see you after a while when things have, you know, when things have resolved. Or we things have, have you know, when I've, I've started to make sense of things again. And, and I understand that because somehow in the West, it's become shameful to be in a minute of hardship. Somehow it's not acceptable socially to suffer. And we have to hide that fact. And so I would rather stay away than have to admit that it's not well. That ought not to be in the kingdom of God and with the people of God. We should embrace everybody for where they are at. And, and you need to have the freedom to stay involved in spiritual family while you are processing pain. And never feel that you are being looked down upon or that you are becoming a burden because you have a lot to process. This is a place for, for her, for the, it's a hospital for the hurting. It's not a hotel for, you know, for saints. It's, it's a hospital for the hurting. And, and so I urge you, don't, don't step out when it's hurting, when life is hurting you, when, you've, when, you're, when, you're, when you're disillusioned, when you're um, just, you know, fuzzy and you don't know. That's the time to draw close with a couple of key people. And I'm going to talk about that in a second of, of who those people might be. And at the same time, it's almost become shameful to celebrate success in the church. And I don't know where and when this happened, but I, I, have, I have an idea. You see, a while back, ooh, shall I go there? No? <laughs> a while back, we used to call it the favor of the Lord is on me. But now we just look at it as, you know, an unfair privilege. Let me say something to you about that. 
God loves prospering his people and we should not feel ashamed for it. Okay? If God has prospered you through whatever means, whether it was from your own actions or whether it was through generational blessing that was passed down from generation to generation, that is a, 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 a factor of a godly family. The Bible says a godly man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Don't you despise that inheritance that was given to you. It is from God. And he wants you to celebrate it and he wants you, but he wants you to use it responsibly. He wants you to not self-indulge. He wants you to not um, use it to step on other people. He wants you to use it responsibly, but at the same time, don't feel shame for it. And because we can't celebrate our victories and because we're afraid to admit our shame, where does that leave us gathering together? <laughs> Let me say this very inconsistently. That's where it leaves us because life is real. And probably around every corner, you and I are going to experience some form of disappointment and some form of victory. But when I get victory, I need to hide it. Why? Because there are those who are going to look at me and go like, mm, you don't deserve that. When I'm, when I'm hurt, when I'm processing pain, there are those who are going to look like, mm, you know what? You brought that on yourself. Let's not be like that, y'all. James is encouraging us to accept where people are at and celebrate and hurt with them. Here's a problem if you try and figure out pain on your own. When you do up getting, end up getting through it and you re-enter community, then no one celebrates with you. Because nobody even knew you were going through something. But when you stay with and the victory comes, and it's not just your victory, it's everybody's victory. And now we all celebrate and praise God and glorify God together. So here's what he's saying to us in James 15, 14 to, uh, 5, 14 to 15. He says, acknowledge your need for help. It's okay. Acknowledge your need for help. In this reference, it's talking about the sick. But it's not purely just physical sickness. It can be the person who was dealt an injustice. He says, are there sick among you? Then ask the elders of the church to come and pray over the sick and anoint them with oil in the name of our Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have committed sins, they will be forgiven. It's interesting to note that James says, let that person call the elders of the church. The Greek word here being used for the word elder is not the same word that is used in 1 Timothy 3 where it lines out the roles and the character traits of an elder, a.k.a. overseer of a church. It's actually a completely different word. And we always look at that and go, oh, I need to get the elders to come pray over me and that leaves this church with uh, about four people that can do all that work. No, what he's saying is he's using a word. The word is presbyteros. And that word is not used for leadership positions in church. It has nothing to do with leadership. It's the Greek word episkopos. And that word literally just means those who have been in the church and have become elders, elderly. In other words, the, the, the actual, what it denotes is maturity. It's saying, call those who are mature 
in the church. And let them come and anoint you and pray over you. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. What does it say? It's got nothing to do with leadership position. It's got everything to do with maturity and faith. So before you start asking, who's an elder in the church that can come and pray over me? No, rather just ask, who's mature? And who has faith to pray with me about this situation? And then you can have 70, 80 people in this church that you can reach out to that you can walk a journey with, that you can have relationship with, close help with and from to help you journey through a moment of processing pain. Presbyteros is the word used for somebody who is mature in the church. It's not the leadership position. Such when you are sick, James is saying, call a mature believer that can pray healing over you if they have faith to do it. And secondly, I think what it's saying is just if, if you acknowledge the fact that you're sick, the, the, you know, you, you're asking in humility. And the Bible says if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, He will raise us up out of that thing. The last thing I think it says to us, or the second last thing, is that we shouldn't hide our sin. Verse 16 says, confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another and then pray for one another to be healed, for, for, uh, instantly healed, for tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. In this sense, again, it does not call out a leadership position. It just talks about a person that walks before God in maturity and has faith. The heartfelt prayer of a righteous man. Who is righteous? It's those who have placed their faith in Jesus for their salvation, not based on their own goodness, right? So that means you can, you can confess when you've done something wrong to any mature believer in church. So in our church, we have life group leaders. We have team leaders in our, in our volunteer groups, our dream team, that are all people that are, we could consider as presbyteros, people that have matured in the faith. And, we can, and, and, and when they pray over you, the Bible says the amazing thing, your sin will also be forgiven. And so sometimes it's just true that because of some sin in our lives, it invites certain things. And the Bible says that if it was a sin that was directly connecting the sickness to your body, you will be healed because that sin will be forgiven. It will be removed from your life. There's power in us praying over one another and for one another. And I am not the only person that should pray and hear a confession. That's the ministry of the body of Christ. The last thing it says as the church we are, so we are to continue Jesus' mission of seeking and saving the lost. Verses 19 and 20 says this, Finally, as members of God's beloved family, we must go after the one who wanders from the truth and bring him back. For the one who restores the sinning believer back to God from the error of his way gives back his uh, soul, uh, sorry, gives back to his soul life from the dead and covers over countless sins by their demonstration of love. We must go after the one who wanders from the truth and bring him back. For the one who restores a sinning believer back to God from, his, from the error of his ways. Let me say this. 
that there is a lot of error that can happen before somebody casts away their faith. There's a lot of things that can happen and wrong that can be done before somebody becomes a person that don't believe in God. And I believe this part here is not talking about the end result, yet it might include it only. It's talking about the person who just wanders away from the truth and starts error by error by error, taking life into their own hands, doing life their own way, and not lining up with the plans and the purposes of God for their life. The Bible says we must go after those who wander from the truth and help them to come back from the error of their ways. And when we do that, we need to understand that we are, we are literally continuing Jesus' mission of seeking and saving the lost. So as we close here today, I believe God is, through James, really speaking to a lot of heart issues here today. And it might be different for each and every one of us. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out a couple of things that I would like for you to just sit there quietly as you just reflect and, and maybe become aware of what God is trying to tell you today through this message. Which one of these things is something that you truly need to take home and start thinking through how you are to respond here? We need to ask ourselves whether we've been dealing biblically and correctly with our wealth. Is there something I need to repent of in dealing with my wealth? Maybe we've been just struggling and wanting and just being tempted by taking matters into our own hands and we truly just need to submit to God's timing in dealing with injustice. Maybe I've been trying to walk on my own and not acknowledge my need to somebody. Maybe I've been, I've been walking in sin and I've been too afraid to actually just come and acknowledge that. Baba says, those who conceal their sin will not prosper. And you can feel that. You can feel how it's, it's literally tormenting you on the inside. God wants to release you from that and bring peace and forgiveness to you. And all that requires is that you would go and admit your fault to a trusted person that is mature and can pray with you so that you might be healed of that thing. Maybe it's that we need to start reaching out to somebody that has been wandering and try to lovingly show them not that God is mad with them, but that there is purely just this error in their ways and that God is calling them back to following His way of doing things. And that what they're seeking out there while they're wandering is actually going to be found in God, not in the world out there. So let's just spend a minute, if we can all just in prayer. Consider these matters before the Lord today. Because James encouraged us to, to not just listen to the word, but to do it. Lest we, we could deceive ourselves. Let's, 
what are these things I need to do? What do I need to do this week? It's something that really only the Holy Spirit can, can drop into your heart. And it might come through a thought. It might come through a memory that you need to deal with. Maybe I, I spoke directly into something that you know has to change. And you need to ask yourself the question, how do I change that? Some of this might require company policy shifts. And that's what you got to go do. Some of this require culture change in my household. Some of this will require me as the father of my house to start investing differently in my family. What's it that God is dropping into your spirit right now that you need to go and, and change? We believe that we all need to change. Number one, none of us are perfect. Number two, the Bible calls us to a pursuit of becoming like Christ. That means none of us can walk out here with nothing to change. So what is it that we can do in response to this word? That'll truly facilitate a different way of doing what God is laying on our hearts to do. Heavenly Father, we just come humbly in the name of Jesus and ask that you will remind us and you will show us, Father, as we step into this week and as we, we go about our business that, that you will interfere, that you will come into our thoughts in moments, in instances where we need to be aware of, of this word, how and where this word needs to find its way practically into our lives, that you will literally cause us to stand still. And recognize that we are being addressed by the King of the universe. And we need to recognize what He's asking us to change. Father, I pray for those moments that we might respond in faith, not in doubt. In fear, not in... In faith, not in fear, Lord. We won't respond in skepticism. We will respond with a hopeful expectation that you're about to change something that'll produce an incredible result for your kingdom. Thank you for being with us, Father, and speaking to our hearts today. We give you all the glory, all the honor. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen.